Hello, welcome again to the Ski Zone with yours truly, the Ski Man, Ski Master. Your boy Q in the building. We got a lot to talk about tonight. It's Friday night prior to uh, this big weekend of college football games. <clears throat> we also got some Major League Baseball playoffs for a picture we're going to talk about. We're going to talk a little bit about NBA and the vaccine and that, and we're going to talk a little bit of recruiting, and we're going to talk a little bit about some college basketball and college basketball recruiting. And But to start, the one thing I want to talk about is the youth. What in the world is the youth? I went to the uh, Alabama-Miami game to start the season, and there was a lot of hype about it. They were talking a lot of noise doing their same old swag nonsense. And then I watched a game last night when they played Virginia and there were no butts in the seats and they absolutely crapped the bed. (laughs) And that just remains to be seen. Is the U ever going to be back? They upgraded a lot of their facilities on, in theory, it looks like it could be a good opportunity for a coach. But all that just remains to be seen. Q, what are your thoughts? Man, I'm a. I I think my take on this might be a little little outside the box. You you just let me know if it is or not. But I got a I got a feeling it'll be it'll be hard for them to come back for one simple reason is that I do think in part you know a lot of the success was built early on from having like the this famous you know alum class of athletes at one point in time. Like, if you dated kind of going back to when they first got on, like, the map from mm-hmm. the 80s and from my – Even the early 2000s. I was going to say, I'm young. So, like, the, like them 2002, 2003 U-teams where, like, you look and you like, man. Willis McGahee, Frank Gore. Jeremy Shockey, uh, Santana <laughs> Moss. Right. Like, I mean, like, just piling up people, and I just think, like, it's – it's hard to continue that forever. It's been what? few and far between as of late. They, they, on on paper, they look like a more talented team. They've been getting more four and five star players. I think they got a top ten recruiting class right, but they're not doing anything with it. And so my challenge to the Miami faithful is, when you see a game like that, you're playing Virginia at home on national TV, a conference opponent. And your stadium looks like they're still under COVID protocols is absolutely pathetic. <laughs> the program, from a lot of levels, is an absolute dumpster fire. So I would contend, I would agree with you, Q. It's going to be a challenge for them to come back. You got to have a coach that's going to go in there and energize their fan base. Continue to recruit. There's plenty of talent there. Any final words before I end on my t- <laughs> my take on Miami? I, I'm going to say this. The best tool for 
recruiting and getting some pep in your step is winning. That's what it is. If it, whoever comes in there needs to produce wins because that literally produces morale. That literally produces, like, I want to go to this school because they compete. And they right now, to your point, like, man, the new stadium is crazy. But to, te- but to tear down the stadium where the winds the was happening. The old Where the winds was happening for something, for something new. And obviously kind of starting over because back to that, what I was saying, I remember they was even under fire a little bit before the era we in now with the NIL where like, man, you paid a couple people and you get them sanctions on you and we see this as lasting effects on a program. That's exactly right. They did recover from their mid-90s sanctions and they had that national championship in uh, 2001. And I remember that team. That was a very dominant team. But it's just they haven't been able to maintain that traction. Now, one thing, I used to work with a guy that he went to the University of Miami, and he was a big Miami fan. There was a lot of enthusiasm in the Miami area for the Hurricanes. And the old Orange Bowl was about a five-minute drive from campus. It was not on campus, but it was literally around five minutes college students could technically walk to that game. The stadium they play in now is an NFL stadium on the whole, an entire other end of town. It, it's sort of detached from campus. There's a lot of things they got to do to get that program. And I'm not sure, you know, hitting the reset button, trying to find another coach is going to fix their problem. Yes, they invested in some facilities. Yes, they got a good base of talent in the South Florida area. But come on, man. Your stadium's not even on campus. Yeah, and I think with that, this brings me to, I think, the ne- a perfect segue into what you were talking to me earlier when we were talking about programs trying to hit the reset button and talking about, you know, USC literally hitting the reset button and saying, like, who are we going to get in here to turn our team around? That's an interesting point. I mean, you being a West Coast guy, being an Oregon fan, who do they go to now? I mean, it's still a primo job. I think they do put butts in the seat when they're winning. Right there in the Coliseum, There's that's a large metropolitan area. you got a diverse population. You can find plenty of people that are interested in going to see US, USC football. They've got to get, again, they also have a good recruiting base there in Southern California. But where do they turn? Um, do they go to, a lot of things they're talking about, do they go back and try to persuade Lane Kiffin to revisit this from Ole Miss? Does, they, does, does Lane Kiffin even want to leave Ole Miss? He's got a good situation there. I mean, they treat him right. He's elevating the program. He's in the best conference in college football. To me, Lane has to go for the ideal scenario but does he go back to usc you know where they basically you know crapped in his food bowl and (laughs) fired him on the tarmac (laughs) i think uh i think a lot of usc fans i think would appreciate 
the type of story that would bring back to USC. To to think that when Lane Kiffin took that job at USC, he was a different coach back then. Well, not even just a different coach, but once again, we're talking about a program that gets hit with some sanctions, and it was it was hard for him to have the the capital to have enough scholarships to get those type of players that USC had before Pete Carroll left. Cause, and then I, I want to say we perfect too because another – I think for me, and most people might agree, the Pac-12 is really – the skill position that it produces the best of is receivers. Hands down, they produce some good receivers. And if you look at the success that Lane Kiffin had at Alabama when he was your coordinator – and thinking some of those receivers that you guys have had that have like even gone on to to the NFL and still be like, like wow, look look at this kid's game really be unleashed. I I think he played a big role in that, and I think, like you said, even him leaving, I believe he got the FAU job after that. If I'm not mistaken, and that's right. And he kind of they had some success there you, at FAU. You know, man, turned it around. Then Ole Miss, even now, as we on the brink of them playing Alabama this Saturday, they're thinking a lot of coaches who go on from this Nick Saban lineage, they go on to be some of the most dynamic dynamic coaches with skilled players. And I think that's what's good. Because USC can get skilled players to go because this is still Southern California. Yeah, they're one of the blue bloods of college football, along with places like Alabama and, you know, Notre Dame and what have you. They're in that same talk of level of programs in history. Even to think of before you continue, like even to think USC's quarterback that recently lost a starting job there, I believe he's at Georgia now, right? He is at Georgia. (laughs) He is the starter at Georgia, JT Daniels. He was a starter at USC. He got hurt, and then the guy that came in and replaced him, it's like they didn't miss a beat, and in some ways they were, he he showed signs of being a little better than, um, um, Georgia. But let's transition. We're talking about quarterbacks. I'm going to go into the NFL and um, talk about Tua Tungavala. He um, played at my alma mater, one of the more famous players, was kind of the face of college football, made the one of the most amazing plays in a national championship, second and 26. Georgia loves that play. Um. <laughs> I think because they spent so much money on the Dolphins, it's like they're going to still give him a shot, but I'm going to here to tell you, when he comes back, he better produce because the narrative of him being injury prone is coming to fruition. And I believe he's at a point now where he needs to come back, he needs to produce, he needs to protect his body. And... He's going to have to finish the year out, and they're going to have to be successful. Um, Now, some of that, I look at the Dolphins organization of what they did. If you got – I heard a take on this. If you got something that's worth a lot of money and you're keeping it at home, you're keeping it at home, like I said, are you going to put that item on your coffee table? Or are you going to put that in a safe made out of steel that costs a lot of money as well? 
I think I read somewhere that the Dolphins have the lowest paid right tackle in the game. Normally, the right tackle would be the left tackle, but since he's left-handed, they got the lowest paid blindside tackle in the game. You're not protecting the man. He's not going to have a chance. Use your head. (laughs) Use your head, man. Give him an opportunity to be successful. I mean, come on. I think even I think even with that said though, it it brings us to have to mention that we kind of are in this new era of even NFL as far as QB is concerned. I think usually when organizations, even if they have a dire need for a quarterback, you know we we're used to these guys like not playing so soon. That's like, right. Like when you think about men. Like people, everybody knows Tom Brady is the goat right now. But Aaron Rodgers, he sat out a few years. I remember when Tom Brady was not playing because Drew Bledsoe was That's the right. starter. Aaron Rodgers, I mean, phenomenal at Berkeley. But I'm here to say, even you can say, Brett Favre was still out there tearing it up for a while, and it wasn't really until Brett Favre, I believe, got like hurt, like one game, that it was like, all right, put our second guy in. Yeah, and they knew he was – I mean, Aaron Rodgers was his first-round pick, so they knew he was going to be the heir apparent. He was the future. But Brett got hurt. I think he came back. It similar situation happened to Drew Bledsoe when Tom Brady came in. Yeah. Now, the reality is when organizations spend a lot of money on a guy, they expect you to be ready here and now. It's not about developing a player at the NFL level. They expect you to be developed. The reality of the matter is, it, yes, they're professionals, but look at, I mean, go back. Peyton Manning started his, his first year in the NFL. He holds the record for the most interceptions thrown in a single season his rookie year. I remember it. I think he threw like 27 interceptions. I mean, you might as well have put me out there to play But then the next year that he bounced back, they improved, and, hey, the rest is history. He's a Hall of Famer. Won a couple Super Bowls at two separate teams. Um, Now, I want you to – give me a take. We're we're on the topic of the NFL. Tell me about your Raiders. Tell me how you think the picture looks there. And, listen, I I even think with that said, man, we we obviously – we played Miami last week, and their second-string quarterback was in. And – even oh my gosh! Even with that being said, I felt like we we didn't get enough sacks at all. We barely got enough pressure when it counted. I mean, the times that they converted on third down, even the fourth down conversions they had made me sick. Um, I felt like we did play to the level of competition, but needs to say, man, we are playing some good football right now, and that is with no running game right now. Like Derek Carr is literally carrying the whole team on his shoulders with his arm. And if well, you Josh Jacobs has not had some nice runs, I noticed that. No, well, he's Josh Jacobs. If you remember, since that Baltimore game, when he hurt his foot again, he hurt his toe again at the goal line. Josh Jacobs hasn't played another down since right our first game. So re- that's why I'm saying, like, we have Kenyon Drake, obviously. It's we, not the same, but it ain't no like our hard nosed running back. That's man, just people scared to tackle this kid. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I think Miami kind of even offensively exposed to your point. Like, if Tua can recover from these injuries, they do have the potential to do something. Because I do think my Raiders will be playing in playoff 
playoff football this year, but I'm even going back to you with the injuries and saying like, man, I just think it's difficult when you start off with these injuries as a young guy in the SEC and they were lower half injuries. Mm-hmm. It's kind of different when like you, you talk about like, well, painting Manning or even in this era where most of these quarterbacks, those type of injuries was like a rib hurt, mm-hmm. you know, a back hurt, a neck hurt. But when you start thinking about how we in this era with mobile quarterbacks and how, man, Tua suffered some serious injuries when he played for Alabama. And I'm that's what I'm saying, to throw him in so early where even I remember, uh, man, what was this I wanted to say? Not a quarterback, but Michael Crabtree. I remember he was he was holding he was out. underutilized. He, he was holding out a little bit. When it came to the NFL, but he ended up getting picked. I uh, drafted by the Niners, and it turned out he ended up having a, a a hairline fracture in his foot. And it wasn't till like I believe like the sec the second it, this wasn't put out there till later, but it wasn't till like the second season you seen the Niners really thrust him out there, right? And because it wasn't a, it wasn't like we got to put Crabtree in like right now. And I'm with you, but even though Richard Sherman kind of exposed him a little bit as they had some playoff success, but Back with, with me talking about Tua starting off, Cardi already injury prone. To your point, if is this they not paying the people that long, even before Tua got there, man, people was getting out of Miami as the fastest that they could. Like Kenyon Drake tore it up there, out of there. I mean, I remember a receiver they had who was the best receiver at the time ends up going to the Texans. Like like they're not even they're not really keeping people there, and it's not to your point. I'm thinking, man, this is Miami. It's a good city to live in. Florida got some good, you know, not too crazy with the taxes. Even to think when COVID was going on, like they've been pretty much open to think that even some of these other factors is not even bringing in people to say like, look, they got a young quarterback. This guy could be the future. But it's like the it's something with the organization where it's just, it, it hasn't stuck for people to want to actually put winning culture there. To even think, I remember Ryan Fitzpatrick kind of, Ryan Fitzpatrick re- resurrected his little backup career again and end up like doing so good and not signing with them going somewhere else. Tannehill ends up being there. They kind of like don't buy into him. Then he goes to Tennessee now where he's the man who, who beat out their top quarterback, my guy, Mark, Marcus Mariota. So right. to think it's not like they don't have, they might be in the same situation, just Miami as a whole. Right, where it's like the the cultures just seems to be bad right now. Yeah, I mean, it, it, it look at across the board. You're right. I mean, um, and I'll transition into Major League Baseball in the city of Miami. The Miami Marlins are a garbage dump. I mean, they're <laughs> terrible. And I want to get into that as my Atlanta Braves won the NL East last night. They clinched. Oh, let's That's go. Let's one, one, one second. Game. One second. One one second. He let's let's give a round of applause for the Braves clinching. That's right. Go Bravos. Um, really good infield. They got those three pitchers. Uh, Max Freed doing a great job. I, I'm looking at uh, the NL, the how the playoffs are shaping up in Major League Baseball. That NL West, out where you're from, the Giants and the Dodgers. I mean, that's like a that's a wrecking ball out there. Now, however, if you go back a few years ago when 
Nats, Nationals, won the World Series. They did it as a wild card. The Braves won the division that year. But they went in there and won the World Series and never won a home game in the World Series. And it's kind of amazing. Everybody thought the Dodgers were going to do it, and they didn't. So, Major League Baseball, there's a lot of parody in it. It's, all, it's, it's a long season from April to October. Long, long season. That's a, it, baseball is a marathon, not a sprint. And you got to have endurance. It's a different kind of game. Um, I like the Bravos. The Bravos are as hot as any team in baseball like, lately. They've won... What are they? Last ten, they're nine and they're nine and one in the last ten games. So, you know, they could get hot. And you look on the AL side, the Rays. They're gonna they clinch the East. Looks like uh, the White Sox clinch the AL Central, and the Astros. I wonder if they're still the Cheek Tros. <laughs> if they uh, they they have clinched the West, and in the wild card there, you got. Where is the wild card on there? It looks like it's going to be the uh, the Yankees and the Mariners, perhaps. Looks like based on how that's playing out. Um, that's going to be very interesting, how that plays out. Um, I know you're a, a Boston Dead Sox, I mean Red Sox fan. Yeah, yeah, and, yeah. Uh, looks like they're kind of, well, I think they could get the second wild card just based on the record. Um, yes, a lot of that remains to be seen. Going back to the NL, um, the Cardinals, they clinched a wild card spot. So, I'm going to make a prediction. I think the World Series champion this year will be, will go to the NL again this year. That's two years in a row. The Dodgers won it last year. I think the NL will win the World Series this year. What do you think, Q? Um... I'm I'm going with you on this one, and I think it'll be a battle between those Dodgers and those Giants, who are fierce rivals between each other. And I want to say also a part of why I'm gonna lean more towards the Dodgers is because they have that championship blood on their team recently in having one of our former players, Mookie Betts who's been playing phenomenal with them this season. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. And I think I think him alone is why I'm going to give the Dodgers the edge, even though – You my, like them to repeat. Oh, it seems like they shall. It seems like they shall. Dodgers have always kept good pitchers on hand. They, they seem to always make the correct moves in the offseason and acquiring talent. When other teams are, are teams that I mean, I'm thinking should be throwing money the way baseball salary cap works at some of these guys, and they're just not willing to take that chance. Yeah, I'm with you that the Dodgers are kind of a reckon, those two wrecking ball teams. Now, I look, the Braves have been hot lately. Those, uh, those move roster moves that Alex Anthopoulos has made in before the trade deadline, picking up, um, those guys getting, um, Adam Duvall back. I mean, that infield is, is a wrecking crew on the uh, at the plate. When they lost Ronald Acuna earlier in the year, I was really concerned. I didn't know. Who, I mean, it looked like the bleeding kept going, and they were not in first place. It was the Mets, you know, and they pooped. You know, they screwed the pooch. Mm. The Mets did. I mean, they have Degrom, and they screwed the pooch. <laughs> I mean, 
that's what the Mets do. And so, um, <laughs> the Braves have uh, been hot lately. Teams that that NL Central can get interesting. I think the Cardinals could get hot. I mean, it's anybody's game, but I'm with you. I think, I think baseball this year as a whole has been better on the NL side as a whole. So, but it's hard to pick against that Giants Dodgers. That's why I mean it. I it wouldn't shock me for them to both end up in the. Uh, I don't know how the how they're going to divide up the wild card. How it is, but if it works out that way, they could end up seeing each other in the NLCS. Mm-hmm. I don't know how that how the brackets are, but I'm thinking that if they have the best record. It just, really, they're the best two teams in the NL. It's unfortunate they're in the same division. So we'll see how that plays out. Um, now let's talk about the NBA right now. That's coming up. And there's a lot of all this. You have a little more take on this than I do, Q. All this vaccine, don't get vaccine. I'll go ahead and tell you, I got vaccine, vaccinated and I got the Pfizer shot. And I can tell you proof with proof that I was directly exposed to someone with COVID. And there is no way in God's green earth that I wouldn't have got it, but I didn't get it. And it worked for me. I'm going to clap it up for that, man. Pray, pray, praise praise, God you made it through that. Um, I mean, like you too. I, I as well am vaccinated. I have Pfizer as well. And I, I think even before I jump into the NBA, I just want to give a disclaimer out there. Everybody, do your own research do your own Googles. We are not doctors. I'm not here pulling anybody's legs saying do what you hear everybody doing. But I will say this. I will say that a lot of this vaccine talk is just showing how like either you're going to be more worried about yourself or you're going to be worried about others. And I think that's what this NBA situation is kind of exposing to think like this is not just kind of happening in the NBA because some players are taking stances to not get vaccinated in the NFL. But you start thinking like, first off, this is a team sport people are playing. It's not track stars out here. It's not like you just show up. It's just you and you represent like Nike. Like you literally have a band of teammates. And you literally represent like an organization like to the T that even to the point where now we're like, Fans is coming into the games with all types of different things, all types of you don't know what underlying issues people have. So when we kind of see some of these players jumping out and saying, you know, well, I've had COVID two times, I've had COVID three times, I recovered fine. You know, I'm I'm young, my strength is good, I'm healthy. Like you hear a lot of me, 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 and me, but. Even what I would be interested in, which I know this probably won't happen, but like when I hear a lot of these players talking at Allen Maxi, it makes me think of Carl Anthony Towns, who lost his mother to COVID. So like when when some of these guys get out here saying like ah, I don't I don't think COVID is that big of a deal, like it's it's wild to to think with this type of platform you would put that out there. Like, it's just so easy for regular people to just be like, yeah, like, we should do what NBA players are doing. Because it's like, how many times? I I don't know. I've never run into an NBA player unless I was at an NBA game. 
So to, to think the way that these guys talk, like they just out and target Walmart every day or when play, players are just like, ah, oh, like, you know, it's just not right for this to be the case. Man, I 100% get it when people are saying, don't force me to do something. But that's not really the option that's really being put on you. It's like, if you don't want to get the shot, you're saying you don't want to get paid. Like, that's what that's what needs to be said. Not like, oh, people are forcing. Like, no, it's like either you want to get paid or you don't want to get paid. Like, you can quit the NBA right now and you can go to China. You can go to the Czech Republic where you won't you don't speak the language. You're not going to understand anybody. People will probably still notice you or whatever. But it's like if you, if you want to be so secluded and do stuff for yourself and you want to just be like the main guy, like there are other options to do that. Yeah, I mean, vaccines and how they work and the technology of them have been around for years. My physician got it. My mother's physician got it. Most people I know got it. And I'm going to tell you what. I didn't kill over dead after I took my vaccine. Yes, you're going to find some risk on it. But what if you didn't get it and you you didn't get the vaccine and turn around and you got COVID in a severe sense, and you died. I got a friend that's my age, great health. He got COVID back in January, and it attacked. Somehow, it att- he was telling me it attacked his appendix, and he had to have, go into the ER. He was admitted, and he had to do an emergency appendectomy because it was getting serious. It was gonna. It could have killed him. I mean, I don't know who, what planet anybody's on to see that this virus is not real. But I'm not. We're not going to get into the politics of it. That's not what this podcast is about. But it's it's kind of weird why some of these NBA players are using this platform or whatever. Or some they just say, "I don't want to get. I don't want to get a vaccine." Oh, hey. <laughs> yes. I think it's even harder to think to your point on the other end. It's not making it political, but making it kind of medical and thinking like, like me thinking since I've been vaccinated, like one, I'm young, I'm in the demographic that's not easily affected, but with the vaccine, I'm even more stronger when it comes to like fighting COVID and not getting it. So why not actually double up on that as well? Like to be like, all right, like, the, ch- the chances of me getting it are low, but with the vaccine, the chances of it makes it lower. And to even hear guys, like I'm saying, who said like, well, why would I get the vaccine if it's not going to stop me from getting COVID? But it's like, t- for you to even admit that you've had COVID twice, it- it's-, it's just even, sh- it's just showing that like, the vaccine is, is not as deep as you're making it. Like to think like you scared if I get a vaccine, if I get the vaccine is going to give me COVID, but you've already admitted you've had COVID twice. Well, the thing is the way this vaccine, the Pfizer and the Moderna vaccine works, it's, it's actually impossible for you to get the virus. It's, I'm not a, you know, I'm not a geneticist. I'm not a scientist. I'm not a physician, but I knew, no, I've read and talked to people that are, you know, the expert. It, it's not a weakened virus. Yeah, but uh, in in rolling on past that, man, I just I hope this I hope this works out for the better, and I don't see anything crazier coming out, you know, with the NBA and all this, you know, like get shot or not get shot, because even where we at now in this state, to think, 
you know, sports is something that brings people together. So why would we want to still put things out there that keep people divided, keep people at odds when it's like, you know, we love these games. We love these athletes. We, you know, we, we fellowship at the tailgates with each other. Like these are, these create some of the biggest moments for us in history. And it's like, we, we should just want that to be the forefront and continue instead of just being at odds, still even outside of the sports world of like, like vaccinated, unvaccinated, mass, not mass. Like it's just really time for a lot of us to get on one accord. For sure. Let's talk a little bit. Of, there's some college football recruiting going on right now. Uh, Alabama picked up a big commitment out of Columbus, Georgia, from that offensive lineman. Columbus, Georgia, if you know where that is geographically, you're 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 actually closer to Auburn than you are the Bulldogs. But um, he's a a four star top. I believe he's a top fifty player. Um. The dogs didn't get him. They, I know they really wanted him, and um, just Alabama just keep picking up, keep reloading at a very important position at the offensive line. Um, just after last year, signing possibly on paper the best offensive line class ever. Some of those guys are still developing. Sometimes offensive linemen, you'll see sometimes you'll see them flash, and then you'll see them do real well and. Sometimes you have them where they got a red shirt and they develop. It's just an interesting position. It's a very developmental, very important. Development is a very important in that at that position. And Alabama's got a big visitor this weekend, and he's got a big. He's got a really famous name. His name's Arch Manning. He's the um, grandson of Archie Manning, the nephew of Peyton and Eli Manning, and the son of Cooper Manning. Real sad story on Cooper, man. He was a pretty good player. He was a receiver. He ended up having a disorder that prevented him from playing college football. Um, but he visited the Georgia Bulldogs and already, and he's visited. He visited some schools this summer, but he visited Georgia. Um, believe that was his first visit. I can't remember, but what's common with what comes out of that. They reported in a uh, media outlet there that's just a, just tied to Georgia athletics. They said, well, it's down to two schools, Georgia and Texas. Well, I would take that with a grain of salt. You're not hearing that in any other media outlet. You're not hearing that on any national report. It's coming out of their camp, okay? And it's just been my experience with them and their, their – uh, their version of rivals or 247 sports to uh, cover their teams. They're like a St. Bernard that believes it's a lap dog. That St. Bernard thinks it's a lap dog. Unless you tell it it's not and it won't <laughs> sit in your lap. They believe they're going to get every five-star recruit they look they, they make eye contact with. Guess what? That St. Bernard, it ain't no lap dog. <laughs> it's not. Now, he very well may go to Georgia. But I'd venture to say he doesn't know where he's going to go right now. He's going to enjoy the process, take his visits, and his decision is going to come down to what will present, what will give him the best opportunity to be successful. But it's a big name on campus, so I think it'll be interesting to see where he turns out. I mean, 
mean, um, what's your take on uh, Arch Manning visiting Alabama this weekend? Um, I think, well, I think one coming from some, you know, some some good lineage is a, is always a start. Absolutely. And to even think like SEC lineage, to even think like great quarterback lineage, and then with that being said, as far as like just going to Alabama. Even just to back up before I answer your question about this, to think about the four-star recruit that y'all just got in alignment, um, Elijah Pritchett, and thinking that it seems like, you know, when you like I said, man, you you get around some winning culture, and it's I contagious. Mean, I mean, to even think, I guess the article the article reads that, you know, they probably sold him by inviting him out to the the championship tail the champions tailgate. And thinking like what I said in the first episode before, like, man, the one thing where it's just going to be hard for you to stop kids from wanting to go to Alabama is, man, you are guaranteed some championship appearances. This is in college. And this is not to mention that, man, you know you getting some NFL-level training right here. Like, this is preparing you for the next level at its highest. Also, in thinking like, what I think also when I think about linemen that go on to play for Nick Saban, these guys seem to be some of the most poised people as their college careers go on. To think there's there's not too many games where I even watch a lot of false starts for Alabama. Was just which just shows how like even like this level of coaching and accountability that's here is like why wouldn't you want to be a part of that? Why wouldn't you want to learn from some of these guys that you know, like, man, this guy right here who's before me, he's going to the next level. I want to go to the next level. Let me see what he's doing. Let me see what they got going on over here. And not to mention to your point, man, about winning being contagious, man, everybody loves playing for that jewelry. Everybody wants to kiss that trophy. Everybody wants a ring. And it's like, man, Nick Saban's just giving them out like Oprah Winfrey. You get a ring. You get a ring. You get a ring. Everybody gets a ring. Yep. So, on that same vein, going to your Oregon, they have got a coach who is part of the Nick Saban coaching group. And I think he's got something building there. And there's speculation. He's a Miami guy. Would my aunt, would the you want to go back there? And we talked about it at the top of this podcast. That I mean, like I said, I don't think I'd want to leave Oregon, where you look at that stadium for regardless of what the game is, you feel like it's an SEC game. There, there's butts in the seat. They're 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 enthusiastic. Would he want to leave that? You know, to go to a cesspool. <laughs> I would. Yes, South Beach is nice. Yes, it's it's great, but it's Oregon. I mean, they've become a much – I think they're a better program than Miami. No, they don't have the national championship. But I think it, they've come close. I, man, I would, I would, I would want to say I think like the, – the, to your point, I think the wildest thing, even as well as not having a national championship resignation – is that one Eugene Oregon is is very supportive of their college. 
That's right. They and support I, them like like Tuscaloosa supports the Tide, like Oxford supports Ole Miss, like Athens supports the Dogs. Yeah, just over the years, it's, it's been a massive amount of support, and I've I've even you know we've lost like over the years like a couple of recruits like to SEC schools, but somehow we've managed to still pull out like you're always in the mix pull out these like you know good seasons and we kind of one or two games away from still competing competing and i think this year i think will prove to him that you know he's on the start of like building us up back to where chip kelly had us i think you're even a more physical team yeah than you were chip kelly it's a more pro style offense they play a little more hard-nosed defense than Chip Kelly did. Yeah, even with our safety leading college football and in interceptions right now. And then you got a recruiting. When you got Kayvon Thibodeau a few years back, he was the top player in the country. Alabama was in the mix. A lot of other schools were in the mix. Some people thought Alabama had a real good chance with him, but Cristobal went in there and grabbed him. And I, I think he's building a winning culture there. Of any school, if you go back all the way to the mid-90s, every school that in college football that's won a national championship, that wasn't their first national championship. College football is kind of a, if you look at it from a business point of view, it's a mature industry. But if there is any program that I think could win their first, the program that's most likely to win a first national championship, I'm going to go with the Oregon Ducks. I think... Yeah, they're not in the SEC. Some people would say Texas A&M. I don't think A&M's going to do it this year. I just think – and it wouldn't be their first national championship. They have a national championship way back. But I, be, I really believe that Oregon has the best shot out of the Pac-12, a pretty good recruiting base. Shouldn't be a just incredibly difficult road. It's not – I think people really bash that conference. And, no, I don't think it's a great league. But I think it's a better league than people give it credit for. I think I think they have the best shot of being the next school that hasn't won a national championship to win. Oh yeah, I would I would agree with that and not I would even say just trying to remove my bias and going back to you saying like cuz we played Arizona last week and really what saved the game for us was defense. We had five interceptions in that game. Towards the end of that game, a pick six is kind of what like like sealed the the deal for us really. The defense has turned up, and I even think, you know, a lot of people haven't, to the point of, of me saying, given us enough credit, I think, as a conference because a lot of teams have kind of fell off to a degree. Like, they kind of fell off, but I feel like all that is about to change, and I wouldn't even mind what's even been talked about is even, like, the Pac-12 expanding again because I remember when it was the Pac-10. That's right. And, they, you know, the brinks of expanding again, and I think, Expansion, I know we you talked about how kind of don't know what messes up these rivalries, and I can understand what the SEC having is like deep, deep, deep history. But I think some of this is needed for the Pac-12, whatever it, the name changes to, for people to like see this showcased in front and see that this can work. Because, you know, for a lot of what people love now that's happening, the Pac-12 have kind of been doing been having these more mobile quarterbacks, been staying in shotgun more often, not doing all this hard nose running and trying to do all this, you know, controlling the time clock, but this fast tempo game. Mm -hmm. And I remember 
back when Mariota was there and people was trying to count us out. And the first thing they said was, well, you'll never beat Florida State. You'll never beat that they school. They did beat Florida State. Embarrassed them. That's I right. mean, straight embarrassed Jameis Winston. And I remember I wanted Mariota to win the Heisman that year. And it was like the only reason Mariota did win the Heisman is because his stats were a little slanted because he didn't have to play fourth quarters in games because we were destroying teams. But he did win the Heisman. Oh, well, I meant the year he got beat out. Yeah. That's what I really meant. But I wanted him to have two of them. I don't know. I'm greedy like that. Well, there's only been one player ever to win two Heisman, and that was Archie Griffin of Ohio State back in the 70s. But, you <laughs> yeah. know, I it, it, it's kind of I – mean, I think USC is a brand. They have a good tradition that you can build that up. Utah is kind of this up-and-coming thing that's done all right. UCLA – I don't know. They're kind of the champions of all, but nothing in football. I mean, in other sports, that is. Oregon, to me, has, I think, the way they're positioned by Oregon Duck football, and even Oregon State, there's people there. It, there's no pro football in Oregon. No. And it's like, it's almost like how it is in Alabama, Alabama, and Auburn. Um, I mean, not that Oregon has the same level of history and tradition as Alabama, but I think they have that same brand and the backing of Nike, Phil Knight. And, Who was an alum. And their resources and their facilities, they can build something. I mean, I don't, I don't think they're going to get on a run like the Saban run, but can they come in and win a national championship? I think they could, and I think that win at Ohio State is going to prove to be a very – very key, important win for their program. Next year, they open with Georgia. And that'll be a very interesting game. I mean, Georgia's a stellar defense. If they can go toe-to-toe with Georgia, I mean, that's going to prove a lot. They already went toe-to-toe with Ohio State and beat them on the road. That was a big one. So, but it remains to be seen what will happen. Um, I uh, We're sitting here, as we're doing this podcast we're sitting here watching the iowa maryland game and this is not a game talia tungvaola is playing okay he's got four interceptions it's oh he just threw a touchdown pass just it's Iowa is actually a pretty tough place to play on the road they're a real physical team um so yeah he just threw it to rakeem jarrett that five star that decommitted from lsu a couple after they had that apparently they had the if you ask them they they had the best team of all time I would I'd I would I would say okay but I don't I, th- I think that Miami team of 01 and last year's Alabama team at least equal that team so um but yeah enough on Miami kind of excuse me enough on Oregon in the Pac-12 um I think uh, going to next, as you know, we we getting upon like you know, forty seven minutes in this thing. I, before we get out, I gotta I got to clap it up for NCAA basketball, Alabama in particular, man. I I don't know what is in the water in T town, but y'all have landed the number one point guard in the country, and before you go, I'm, I'm pretty sure you're excited because I remember last last season, as far as tournament play, 
you were very excited. And I, I really had picked y'all for a Final Four appearance because I felt like Alabama was playing some of the best basketball that I've ever seen in my life. And the way that, man, from the, the backcourt to the defense to the, the tempo of the style that y'all got have moved to and actually having a cohesive team, not just looking like just like two recruits holding everything together or before like we've talked where it was like Colin Sexton's like the only guy that you got to let have the ball in his hands when the game is kind of like like inkling down to the end. It's like, man, y'all, y'all really building something to where I'm like, man, finally there's another team that can compete with Kentucky, like like I I feel like this year like Alabama is going to put me on a record is literally gonna have the best record in the SEC for basketball again, like legit, le, le, like it's not gonna be close. It's not gonna be close. I, I look at that. I, you mentioned the guy Colin Sexton. Why were we able to land this kid? I think Colin Sexton. Now, he did it under Avery Johnson. I give Avery a lot of credit for bringing excitement back to the program, getting a high-level player like Colin Sexton. But he sort of was the prelude for all this. He came in, was a one-and-done, has done well in the NBA. Then a few years later, you have Kyra Lewis. And now he's in the NBA, and he he was a lottery pick as well. And now you got uh, you get a, a five-star transfer from Villanova. You know, Villanova, that championship caliber program, he comes in and transfers to Alabama and lights it up. I mean, it was amazing. Well, probably the, by the time Alabama got to the tournament, he was the go-to guy. And then you get another guy out of Canada um, in Josh Primo, and he's a lottery pick, and he's a combo guard. And then you land the top point guard in the country a year ago, who was in state, which helped. He grew up an Alabama fan. And J.D. Davidson, and he's pretty dynamic. And then it's just like it goes back to the winning culture. It, it's contagious. I, and then you look at how Auburn made the Final Four a few years. Basket, go, basketball in Alabama and in the SEC is on its upswing. And I'm with you. Alabama, it's not going to just be Kentucky and the whoever else. I think Kentucky's there. Alabama's going to be good. I think Auburn is going to be a very dangerous team in in basketball this year. I also think uh, um, Florida should be a strong team as well. I think the league is a lot better. It wouldn't shock me in the next few years with the TV rights and the excitement of the league that the SEC might be the top basketball league in in the years to come. I mean, it still goes to the ACC right now. But with the transition, you got two legends retiring from the two blue blood, two bet high-end blue bloods of the uh, ACC, you got two, uh, the retirement. And then you got the AC, SEC really investing in the league and really investing in improving basketball. Like, I, I, I really think the SEC might be the best, will be the best league in basketball, or at least on par with the ACC in the years to come. Most definitely, and I think even with that, man, we just – I just want to lead in here with some of Jalen Bradley's own words – from his ESPN article. So it's like Jalen Bradley goes on to discuss. He had a meeting with Coach Nick Saban. And he goes on to say about Nick Saban. He was a funny guy. He likes Coach Oaks and said Alabama has a culture of winning in all sports. And that just ties back to when we were talking about 
man, a school with a winning culture is contagious. And then Saban goes on to let him know, you know, this is not just a football school. And shared in his meeting with Kobe Bryant how they picked each other's brains and how he was humble with all the success that took before him to practice to be with us. And back to what I was just saying earlier. Now, the article goes on to say when it said, you know, Bradley goes on to say, Alabama, they play fast break style and it's guard heavy. They play multiple pick and roll games and some five out when they have big men that can shoot. And the style of play is what attracted him. And I'm one of the things. And that's what I'm saying, man, where it's like, you know, I'm I'm just loving I'm loving the direction that Alabama basketball has really gone into and just like it, it makes me get excited, especially when it comes to college in particular, more than NBA, because I feel like College is really one of the last purest art forms of basketball where it's like, man. It's precision. Coaching is so top tier. It's not all this, like, politics about I don't like my coach because he didn't eat dinner with me. And just even as far as the game is being played, it's like, man, you you got two halves to make something happen. And – it's not a, it's not million it's, I mean some of these kids is probably gonna have million dollar deals with the now, NIL, yeah. But to a degree it's like, man, most kids is here trying to do something to get to the next level. And even with your point of us saying of you saying how Alabama's recently produced some guards that have gone on to do some good things in the NBA, it's like, man, this is another destination that has to make me think, like, man. Some of a lot of these guys are getting a chance to highlight their talent. The school's not holding them back and letting them play their game, and they still making it to the league. To whereas you think of like more like a lot of times, I think when it comes to North Carolina, I was about that. Let's talk about your Tar Heels, which is it's a it's a tough school in my opinion to be a one and done guy because it doesn't really work like that. But obviously, the Roy Williams culture, they're about developing. And that's what I was going to get to. Obviously, we have a we have a new coach, but I'm saying, but prior to that, it's been like this is we've always played the same style of basketball that's kind of won, and being able to recruit like the same style of players for the most part to keep the machine going, kind of like what you know Alabama does with football, that's or right. even what Calipari kind of does, where he's able to just get all these five stars AAU style. And, like, yes, just send you guys out here. We'll just work on the fine-tuning skills, and we'll just give you some of the, the NBA tips you need to really take the game to the next level. But I I kind of wish and hoping that, like, we do redevelop into, like, something else the same way that Alabama has because y'all have had some stars that I've loved in the past from Robert Ory to Gerald Wallace to like a lot of guys don't think like a lot of guys focus on superstars to a degree and that's because I feel like they haven't watched the game of college to think like man Gerald Wallace to me he could jump out of the gym I mean a a serious baller from I mean I'm talking I remember Gerald Wallace on the Kings I have a Gerald Wallace rookie card right now to even seeing him go on to Charlotte to seeing him go on to play for Brooklyn and he's been a factor, and I'm saying, I'm saying a lot of this started back when like Alabama was out here letting these athletes be athletes, and it worked. And I just, I wish, I, I wish to see more schools go to this, even in the essence of like, man, a lot of kids are gonna consider not going 
because I can just go to the G League. I can just get my money up front. But it's nothing I love more than just seeing like the game being played at its highest level. And these guys that take the time to play it and have like good careers at the next level. That's right. I, going on to your Tar Heels, I think Hubert Davis, North Carolina's a blue blood in basketball. I think he will transition a little bit away from the Roy Williams model. I do believe he's going to get, he's going to be about a little bit of player development, but I think he's going to get some of the one and done too. Um, I think. You're seeing a lot. You might see a little bit more of the G League as a competitor to some of these big time programs. But I got to be honest with you, some of these kids really do want to get a college education or at least get their education started. Do a year of college basketball now. But here's the thing: with the NIL, the G League is not. It's almost like okay, you go to the G League, make a few hundred thousand dollars, or I can go to college, get my education now, and. Um, not only get my education, but I'll sign an NIL deal, and that'll pay me two or three hundred, or maybe it gets on up, go, gets on on up to a million dollars. So I'm not sure the G League is going to be able to get the guys out of high school like we originally thought. Maybe some of the guys with great issues, they'll get they'll get some, but I think guys are still going to go to college now, especially with the NIL, and um, and the G League will still be a developmental league. It'll I think it has been a good thing. There's been some guys that have gotten better and made it to the NBA. They weren't, you know, stars, but they were definitely role players and helped support a team. So I think the G League has been a good system for the NBA. Yeah, well, I also want to insert, because I'm not, I'm not even sure if you're aware also, but now the G League also kind of before this NIL move, they have – they have made like you know two separate kind of leagues though, to where they realize that some of these kids that are coming from college, they're they're it's gonna be I mean not from college from high school, they've created a system that's a little bit more different for them to just really develop some more, and kind of just prepare for like getting drafted or summer league to where it's not it's not like they're doing the old school grind, of like the traditional like G League player where there's I think there was a guy. From a and I believe that, you know, he stopped his college season early to Alabama A&M. He stopped his college season early to go play G League in Reno. And uh, I'm not I'm not sure how it worked out or didn't work out, but it's a totally different system now to think even with these kind of two-way contracts that they're kind of giving these kids and to even think a lot of the kids that are already considering the G League already have like millions of followers on Twitter because in the G League now, they can get, like, a bigger brand deal than just a typical, like, NIL if they go get an education. Because these kids are the kids that know, like, like basketball is my life. I'm not, I'm, I'm not going to get a degree per se. But I'm with you in saying that at least college, the NCAA opening this up makes it more reasonable to think. I, let me consider actually learning something in school now that I don't have to be struggling. I don't have to be poor. You know, I can I can do a little bit more for myself, for my family, because that seemed to be some of the trouble that a lot of kids was in. When you think about even the past scandals before NIL, where it's like t the b teams out here playing all these players money just so they can make things make things happen, make wins happen, make final four appearances or just even elite eight appearances. And it's like, 
you know, we kind of get down on a program like, oh, my gosh, like, how could they do this? But then you start thinking like for I'm not even just on them, but like some of these kids that they're giving the money to where it's like, why would I flinch at somebody saying that they want to give me or my family a house, a car, you know, a hundred thousand dollars up front because there's no guarantee that I even pan out in the NBA. But a hundred thousand dollars, as you know it, even you know, is is valuable right that second. Then thinking I could have millions two three years from now. Like that's guaranteed on the table. But uh, you know I'm happy they opened it up, and I, I think in a kind of before wrapping this up, I think like well, let's lay name off a couple of our picks. All right, yeah, we'll get into the games this weekend. We're not going to pick the Iowa-Maryland game. It's going on as we speak, and Iowa is, you know, putting a red-hot poker <laughs> into the Maryland Terrapins. I do like Coach Loxley and everything, but Iowa's got a – they're a strong program up there. They're a physical team. They're a really good football program. Um, we're going to start – we're going to start in the SEC. We're going to go Arkansas going on the road, undefeated, playing the Georgia Bulldogs. I'm going to start – I like our uh, excuse me Georgia in this game. I think they're a better team. They got a better roster, but I think Georgia's defense is going to show they're going to sh- expose Georgia's defense. Georgia has a great defense, best defense. I think Sam Pittman is going to go in there and they're going to score a little points. I'm not saying a lot. They're not going to you know score 30 points on Georgia, but they're going to get into the end zone and they're going to test Georgia a little bit. I could be wrong. But I'm, I, I like the Georgia Bulldogs to win about 38. I'm going to say 38, 38-16. Mm. That's a – you know what, I'm, I'm going to take your same pick on that, but I'm going to go 35-21. Oh, you think they're going to score a little more than that? Okay. That would be very interesting to see that, how that plays out. Um, looking at going, uh, looking at some more games this weekend. Um, uh, Michigan going on the road to face the undefeated Wolverines. A big physical rushing attack. Um, an improved defense going on the road to play the Badgers of Wisconsin. I think Badgers are, they're backs to the wall. They gotta, they gotta do something. Um. I don't have a pick on this yet. If you want to go ahead and make a pick, I'll, I'll follow up with you. I'm going to go ahead and go with Michigan. I think, man, Harbaugh has finally found a groove. Like, man, it, it seemed like, man, they kind of gave all that money to him. I was thinking they wasted this. Yeah. But I think he's he's finally got the right group of guys in there that have really bought in to his to his style. And he's he's producing some wins, and I and I finally think, man, the Wolverines, man, if they can keep this up, they can finally make a push to get into the playoff, man. Because they gotta finally get over the hump. Because they got to beat the Buckeyes. Not even just them. I feel like Michigan State has had appearance before them. So it was like even with that being, I mean, really, <laughs> come on. Not that Michigan State's a bad program. They've always been a steady program, and. Nick Saban coach, they're not. It's not like they don't have a history there, but 
I mean, you're talking about Michigan, the team that has the most wins in college football. They won a national championship in 1997. How in the world did the Spartans get in before them? So, without getting to it, and the people that are going to listen to this podcast, folks, we're not going to pick as many games as we did last week. We're just going to pick some of the key games. Um, we're going to uh, we'll go ahead. Let's pick the Alabama Ole Miss little commentary on that game. Um, um, you look at the times when Alabama lost to Ole Miss, and it was like they snuck up on Alabama. Alabama was kind of overlooking them a little bit. A lot of fluky things happened. I remember in 2015, the opening kickoff, Kenyon Drake fumbled, and they were playing from behind. Uh Jacob Coker had the flu, and we were a little sick. He had to come off the bench. We ended up losing that game 43 to, I believe, 37, and we were down 30 to 10 at one point. Um, Alabama's got the better roster. Hands down. They play their game with that crowd. I like Alabama with the crowd. I'm going back and forth on this. But I really think Alabama is going to pull away. I'm going to go 52-35. That's that's wild. But I'm, ah, you know, I got to go against the grain here, man. Ole Miss is who I'm picking to win this game. And the reason why I'm going to pick Ole Miss to win this game has been why in the past when I predicted that they would win is when they have a quarterback that is not willing to let that ball fly to those receivers. And I have not been that impressed with your DBs as of this far. And as I saw against that Florida game, if the quarterback's confidence can remain high and you can get that ball to your weapons, you have a chance. There's been some problems a little bit with Josh Job committing some penalties. Jalen Armour Davis has played well. They are working out some kinks with that, that secondary there are some talent there. There's some talent there. They don't have a Patrick Sertan like they had last year. You, you couldn't even throw the ball on his side. I mean, um, I think they're working some kinks out with DeMarco Helms. He really should play more in the box. You got Branch and uh, um, Malachi Moore that are better in the back end, and then you got Jordan Battle who's playing solid. They're just, they haven't found the right mix in chemistry there. I could see Ole Miss upsetting them, but I think things are just going to have to bounce their way. I mean, I think Alabama, as long as Alabama doesn't turn it over, they should be able to match Ole Miss. Yeah, we'll see. It'll be interesting. I'm, I'm definitely going to watch that game for sure. That's that's the game I, I definitely need to be inside with the coldest cup of water I can have and as much fried catfish as I can eat because <laughs> I don't want to miss a second. And lastly, I think the you know the most important game that I think for us in particular is this Stanford Oregon game because Stanford they they have shown even though they two and two that they can compete and give a team a hard time and you know I was afraid against Arizona last week because we didn't take advantage as we should have but it's like man. This game, I think, is crucial for us more so because this is a statement game. Because this is the game that we have before we play UCLA. 
and we need to go in here and perform at a high level so we can get all the mediocre mediocrity out and go forward and show like man we trying to get in this playoff we trying to get a championship here and we can't be playing terrible against low tier t i don't want to even say low tier but just unranked opponents man to where it's that close of a game like to your point the same way you saying Alabama's going to score 52 points and even if Ole Miss has 35, like, that's the type of mentality I think my Ducks need to come out with for this game. Like, we need to perform at all high levels and not accept anything but that. Well, I agree with you. I think Oregon will take care of business. We'll just do a pick a few more. Florida, Kentucky, I like Florida. Oh, you know I'm going Florida. Um. Texas A&M, Mississippi State, Texas A&M. The one, uh, one ranked game in the Big 12. Who do you like, by the way, Mississippi State, Texas A&M? At Texas A&M. I'm taking A&M. I'm going to take A&M. Oklahoma State is hosting Baylor. Number 21, Baylor versus number 19, Oklahoma State. Baylor kind of has shocked some people. I, I'm going Oklahoma State at home. Um, I think I think the Cowboys will take care of business. I'm I'm in agreement with you on that. I'm definitely taking Oklahoma State. All right, just a couple more. Clemson hosting Boston College. I think that's going to be kind of interesting. Clemson has struggled a little bit. I like them to kind of bounce back at home against Boston College. Mm. I'm gonna go Clemson, but I'm gonna put a disclaimer out there. I'm gonna say, man, the sa the sad thing sometimes about losing a game is that it gives another team the confidence to think we can do that too. And that is a little, sometimes that can be contagious and dangerous when you kind of got to come back in the game and say like, look, we got to get back on track. Right. Yeah, I agree. Um, back to the SEC, Auburn on the road to LSU. Auburn looked like garbage. They replaced their quarterback. I, I think he might be marginally better than Bo Nix, because uh, really he didn't. He struggled. He struggled too until that last drive. And then um, you look at um, the fact that Auburn has not won in Baton Rouge since 1999. You got Max Johnson at quarterback, T.J. Finley going back home to Baton Rouge to play his former team. I mean, I keep going back and forth on this one. I think the pressure is more on LSU to take care of this game. I like, I can guarantee you 100% the Tigers are going to win this game. <laughs> <laughs> I see what you did there, Ski. I like LSU to win that game at home. Uh, I'm going to go with LSU as well. I think, I think even what happened to them. Because if you think back now, in the beginning of the season, they take a loss to a Pac-12 school. They use they lose to UCLA on the road. And I I just think that now they probably figured out like, look, we we need to take every opponent serious. Because even they man, I if I'm not mistaken, man, it was it was some trash talk going on before that game. Yeah. Between those two schools. Yeah, I mean, Coach O <laughs> ran his mouth and he said that sissy blue shirt. Yeah. Ooh, and and they, and they definitely showed them what, what a sissy blue shirt <laughs> will do. They put a little, and actually they were more physical than LSU. So. Hey, I'm telling you, man. Like 
I tell a lot of people all the time, man. I know a lot of people think like, like they so used to seeing SEC football and think, oh, well, we got the bigger players, we got the stronger players. Like, trust me, there's some good there's, football out there. You gotta take them serious. There's athletes everywhere, and sometimes you just need to keep your mouth closed because you're gonna awaken something in somebody. To where it's like, man, a, a chip on the shoulder is like one of the worst things you want to be. You don't want to, sometimes you just don't want to be going against somebody with a chip on their shoulder. Because like I said, a lot of the, the Pac-12, every time we come out of conference to play these bigger, bigger programs, it's like, man, we know what's at stake you here. You usually play with them. I mean, Oregon lost to Auburn a few years ago. And and I mean, that USC was. USC got throttled by Alabama a few years ago. I mean, it just, it's kind of interesting. Um, now and to to end things, the last game we'll make our prediction. We'll state we'll go back to the Pac-12, 20th ranked UCLA hosting the three and one Arizona State Sun Devils. Um, they are de- Arizona State's definitely the better team in that state. Arizona is a um, you know a, a dumpster fire in their own right. Uh, um, I like the Bruins at home. Yeah, I'm definitely going with UCLA, even just in us referencing that. They played a good game against LSU. And even like the, the loss that they have. It was a flu. It was one of those upsets. I mean, I yeah, do think. It was, I mean, that, that, they probably should have won that game. It was kind of an embarrassment. It's like, whoa. UCLA's gonna. I think UCLA is probably gonna win the Pac-12 South. And that's to my point is what I'm saying. I think like LSU, they've figured out too. Like, let's just keep playing at a high level. Don't play to love our competition. Don't, man. We we shouldn't even be this close. They shouldn't, man. That Fresno State game should not read forty to thirty-seven at all. Like with the with the players that they have. There's no reason why that should be, but I think they will definitely handle business. They're going to take care of Arizona State, and like I said, man, we're going to end up playing them in the Pac-12 championship this year. They they know that they will see us. Obviously, we played them, we played them towards the end of the season, but we will see each other in the Pac-12 championship. That's my prediction. There's one more game that we forgot to pick, and that is um... – Notre Dame and Cincinnati. Cincinnati going to be moving up to the Power Five in the years to come. They're playing. They're a top ten team. They're going, I believe, to Notre Dame. I'm going to tell you if Notre Dame wins, we're going to be talking about them for the college football playoff. If Cincinnati wins, there's going to be a debate. Do we add a group of five team to the college football playoff? I think it remains to be seen. I don't have a pick on that one yet. Go ahead, Q. Um, I gotta. Go, I'm gonna just. I gotta go against the grain here, man. I think Cincinnati's gonna get it done, and I'm also gonna. I might be a little biased and wanting them to get it done because a lot of times my issue with Notre Dame in particular, man, I've always felt over the years their schedule's been weak. That, they, that's, they play a national schedule, but a lot of the teams they play nationally aren't. I mean, they played Georgia a few years ago, and they st- went toe-to-toe with Georgia. But some of their traditional national players they play on their schedule, is they're not what they used to be. Yeah, they uh, it's, it's just like a, a easy run for them. 
Like, if I was Notre Dame is the equivalent to what the Bills are now in the NFL. It's like Miami, you expect the Bills to beat them. The Jets, in your terms, they've been a dumpster fire since Rex Ryan left. Like, and I don't, man, I can't, the, the other team in that conference, I can't think of right now, but it's like, that's Notre Dame. It's like, they probably got one or two games that's like, okay. But then the rest of the time, it seems like, man, they are shooing to make it in there. And then when they do make it into the playoff or, well, when they made it to the championship, it's like they get embarrassed when they play real talent. Yep, yep, yep. I'm going to go. I think the Irish are going to take care of it at home. I, I just think they will. I think it will be a close game. Might even go to overtime. But I think the Irish, they'll get the luck of the Irish and they'll win that game at home. That's our final pick. Uh, everybody, we appreciate it. We had a great, I had a great time with you, Key. We talked about a little, little more stuff. Our show was a, our uh, podcast was a little longer this time, but I think we got into a lot more interesting t- topics. I, I really enjoyed our conversation, and uh, I'll tell you, our next conversation we're going to go back to uh, next week is going to be we're going to talk a little more HBCU. You and I are going to go to a game. Um, the homecoming game, Alabama A&M, and they're going to be hosting the Jackson State where uh, primetime Neon Deion Sanders is the head football coach. We'll talk more about that next podcast. Uh, well, everybody, have a good night. It's been good. Take yes, care. sir. Thank you, Ski. Everybody, enjoy yourselves. Peace.